Warning, the following show contains explicit language. Certain people should not listen to this show, such as children and panty-waist adults who cry like 12-year-old little girls when they hear profanity. Welcome, welcome, my friends, to the Dr. Reality Podcast. I'm Dave Champion, and I want to talk to you about something that I think may, depending on how things go, change the entire landscape of law enforcement use of force. We all know that uh, Derek Chauvin has now been convicted of multiple counts of murder, and he's going to be spending probably close to the rest of his life in prison. But Chauvin's conviction, in my opinion, doesn't necessarily mean much. One cop did something wrong. He went to trial, he was convicted, and he's going to jail. But that's not particularly profound in the terms of law enforcement and how it functions. The upcoming trial of the three remaining officers involved in the George Floyd murder, that may have extremely profound impacts on how law enforcement officers go about their business in the field. The three former Minneapolis police officers who are coming up to trial are J. Alexander Quang, if I'm pronouncing his last name correct. He's the one that I have a bit of empathy for because that was his third shift. Yeah, he's not just a rookie, but like a virgin rookie. The second officer is Thomas Lane. He joined in February 2019 and under Minneapolis PD standards for field training for probationers. He was also considered still a rookie at the time that George Floyd was murdered. And lastly, Tutho. Uh, he joined the police department, that Minneapolis Police Department, in 2012. And <laughs> yeah, he, he has always been a problem officer, but that is not germane to what we're going to be talking about today. In order to understand this possible profound impact on law enforcement, we have to understand what charges are being brought against these three and what a conviction will mean. Okay, so each one of them has had two counts brought against them by the prosecutor. One is aiding and abetting second-degree unintentional murder. Unintentional murder. Yeah, that doesn't make much sense to me, but I don't live in Minnesota. The second charge is aiding and abetting second-degree manslaughter. Okay, so those are pretty weighty charges, and those three charges have been brought against each of those three officers. All right, that's as much as we need to know to understand what might be an incredibly profound effect if they are found guilty. Historically, and I'm not talking about decades ago, I'm talking about in many places it's still currently in place, some places it's recently been shifted somewhat, and some places they've corrected it, although thoroughly corrected, but those are very, very few and far between. And what I'm speaking of is one officer using force, laying his hands upon another officer to stop some sort of abusive harm being conducted by the first officer. I will tell you, there is not a single cop at police in the United States that's been on the job for more than a minute and a half that hasn't seen another officer committing an unnecessary, unjustified, harmful action against a suspect. It, it just goes part and parcel with the job. And even if you're seeing something is flat-ass illegal as far as use of force by an officer over there. If you lay your hand, you're an officer, and you lay your hands on that officer, you don't have a fucking job anymore. As I said, that 
is changing across the nation, but with most entrenched cultural ethoses, and that's a cultural ethos within the law enforcement community, especially management, it takes a while to change. Now, I understand Houston, some time ago, two, three years ago, changed its policy. If you're seeing that and you do not act, then you will be up for punishment, but that's a rarity. Most agencies across the nation, although it'd be very difficult to do right now in the wake of the George Floyd matter, but the policy up here in the head of police executives across the nation is, yeah, so if Officer Smith laid his hands on Officer Jones during the course of an arrest claiming that Officer Jones was being too violent or violating policy, yeah, Officer Smith is getting fired. That has been the longstanding, longstanding historical reality of how it works in law enforcement in the United States. The number of departments that actually have a policy where you must physically intercede is very, very small. Most of the agencies have no policy about that, leaving the officer who's seeing this abuse, leaving him or her in the position of being like, what do I do? I feel I need to intercede if it's a good cop, but if I do... I could lose my job. I've got a spouse and six kids. I can't lose my job. As you can imagine, one of the primary reasons that that's been (laughs) frowned on, to say the least, for decades and decades and decades and decades in law enforcement is that you do not want, you're trying to arrest a suspect, maybe two, hell, maybe three, and suddenly you do not want your officers brawling, okay? You can understand how that would be bad, right? So that's how it kind of started. But then it morphed into you just don't lay your fucking hands on another officer, period. That's wrong. Circumstances notwithstanding, you just don't do it. And that is totally wrong. So imagine you're a cop working somewhere in the United States. And again, as I said, the vast majority of departments do not have a policy mandating you must physically intercede. So there's no policy about that. And yet you see guilty verdicts for one or more of the three Minneapolis officers that are facing trial upcoming here very soon, that one or more of them gets convicted of major felonies for not interceding. But your department doesn't have a policy. How are you going to play that when it actually comes up, right? It's like, okay, so if I do that, probably going to lose my job. If I don't do that, I can go to prison for the next 10 or 12 years. That's an awesome position to find yourself in, right? Not. If an officer sees another officer physically abusing, using force that is unnecessary on somebody, do I want that to stop? I do. Do I want the officer who sees it and understands that it's wrong to intercede? I do. Do I think it's a great idea to have cops brawling with each other in the middle when they were trying to arrest someone else? No, I don't. So I have long advocated... (laughs) What I think is just a common sense approach, which means it'll probably never get adopted in law enforcement. And that is a safe word, like in BDSM play. All right, so this is how the safe word would play out on the street in in my scenario. I'm just going to use the word zebra because that's not a word we use very commonly in speech. So I'm just going to use good cop and bad cop for the sake of this illustration, the bad cop being the one being abusive and the good cop being the one recognizing it and wanting to stop it. Okay, the bad cop is engaged in some sort of violent physical abuse of a suspect that is not justified. The good cop looks at that and says, I've got to stop this. But 
as a, at least an initial measure, I don't think it should be the only measure, as an initial measure, the good cop should be able to come up, get in the bad cop's ear, okay, because he's probably doing this, he's, you know, he's got be getting physical and he's focused on the suspect. Okay, so right there in his ear, zebra, 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 zebra. That cannot be missed, right? And department policy would state that when another officer on scene screams your BDSM safe word in your ear, you must stop what you are doing immediately. And if you don't, there's some, I would think, harsh punishment because you, remember, another officer with the same training you have thinks that you are being violently abusive outside the law or outside department policy. So when you hear that zebra, 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 and you don't stop, you're choosing to continue. And so I think the penalty should be harsh. Administratively, I would like to see like 30 days without pay. I'm going to use Eric Garner. Do you remember him, the big overweight black guy down in New York? He was selling Lucy's on the street and the cops approached him, and, and he was like, man, leave me alone, and, and the fight. That's all he said. Man, leave me alone, and the fight was on, right? So I forget the detective's name, an Italian cat, plain clothes. He leaps on Garner and locks him up okay, in a headlock, and down they go. There's a bunch of cops there. Right? This one undercover cop, he's got Garner by the neck, and he's got him locked up, and Garner is going, I can't breathe! I can't breathe! At that point, in this scenario that I'm sharing with you about how this should work, when he's gasping, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, another officer should have gone right to the ear of the undercover officer, zebra, 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 zebra. Does that mean that the officer should immediately release the headlock? No, it does not. What it means is the officer needs to ease up and say, I am loudly so that bystanders, fellow officers can hear it. I am easing up my pressure on this neck. I am easing the pressure. Suspect, do not fight. Officers, I'm easing my pressure. Okay, so there's a dialogue, there's communication taking place. But the zebra, zebra, zebra in this scenario is intended to get the attention of the officer who is perceived to be going overboard, uh, doing something that is outside of policy, outside the law, is injurious, is, is needlessly going to harm a suspect. So back to the trial of the three remaining officers. If one or more is convicted of one or more of the counts against them, Law enforcement is going to have to set a policy. Perhaps they'll adopt something like I've just shared with you now. Police unions are going to be saying to whatever uh, government agency, the officers of which they represent, they're going to be saying to the government agency, okay, we have to settle this. Officers have to know. They have to have a guideline. They have to have a policy. They have to have boundaries. So when they see another officer acting violently outside of policy or outside the law or needlessly placing a suspect's safety at risk, we need to have some sort of guide by which our officers that this union represents knows what is expected of them. Every agency in America is going to have to put one of those two kinds of policies in place. That is, historically, in terms of law enforcement in the United States, that is a massive, massive game changer. Because as I said, historically, one cop never laid his hands on, on another cop at the, at the scene of an arrest. It just wasn't done. And if you did it, you were getting fired. 
And that is what has allowed cops to be so abusive during the arrest process, is they know if there's 20 cops standing there going, oh, shit, oh, shit, man, stop that, oh, shit, none of those 20 cops could do anything about it or they'd be fired. But now, if any one of these three officers that were with Chauvin that day, if they are convicted of one or more of the charges against them, police unions are going to demand guidelines from their agency, the agency for which their officers are employed. They are going to demand guidelines on how officers are going to intercede. Once those guidelines are in place, then officers, if they don't want to get disciplined, they are going to have to intercede. And that is, in American law enforcement history, a total fucking game changer.